Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got George on who is an architect. Hi George. Hello. How are we? I'm very good, thank you. Very nice to hear you both. And you. Um, so let's jump straight in George. Um, what do you do? I am an architect and I specialise in uh, designing traditional buildings. So sometimes they're classical buildings um, but sometimes they're, they're just traditional buildings. But I suppose in layman's terms, um, I design uh, buildings in um, traditional styles. And I mainly do houses, but occasionally other kinds of building as well. I, um, I found your, or your profile on Instagram uh, because I, I follow a few sort of things around design and architecture. And I yes. love the style you design, like the, the classic. Uh, I don't, do you call it neoclassical? Is that wrong? No, sometimes it is neoclassical. Yeah, um, uh, neoclassical is, is, I suppose, one of the traditional styles of architecture. It's particularly um, common in in Britain in the 18th and 19th centuries. But um, yeah, yeah. No, neoclassical I, is right. I absolutely, I love that style. I just think there's so much attention to detail and thought and they, the buildings are beautiful. You know, um, on your Instagram, you've got the Royal Crescent at Bath um and, and things like that and it's just that architecture is, is beautiful what do you why did you choose the style you did um well i um uh my family background i have a connection with classical architecture because my grandfather was an architect and he practiced in um the 19 well from the 1930s to the 1970s and uh, at a time when most architects had um, rejected traditional architecture and um, had, were really doing modernism. And, um, and he continued to practice as a traditional architecture after the war, which was very uncommon. And um, so for me, it's, uh, I suppose I'm following in a family um, tradition of sorts. So it's never really been that unusual for me, but it is, it is unusual in the wider profession um, and certainly people who are trained as architects now, it's quite difficult to get through seven years of architectural training um, and still uh, have a sort of an interest in traditional architecture intact because, um, you're, you know, a lot of the emphasis of training now is trying to discourage people from doing that. Yeah, I was going to say, you've to become an architect, it is a very long education process so yeah did you always going through school always desire to be an architect and that was sort of always what you wanted to do um and how did you find the, the education of it so I, th- I suppose because there was architecture in my family i thought that um i ought to look at other things too because it was sort of you know sometimes the obvious thing is not the thing that you want to do and so i i, I never really had architecture at the forefront of my mind and then um, sort of shortly before I left school and when I was thinking about universities, I realised that architecture was the thing that combined all of my interests, um, particularly drawing. Um, you know, the, from a very young age, I was always drawing, always doodling, always found it much easier to explain things through a drawing than through words. And um, uh, so, you know, to, to find a course that enabled me to, to draw, um, as well as still continuing academic interests um was perfect so I suppose that I went to university thinking I'm just going to enjoy doing the course I didn't know whether I wanted to be an architect 
but I just thought that the, the course looked um, really perfect. Uh, and um, uh, and because architecture is not taught at schools in schools very much, certainly at my school, there wasn't really much awareness of what architecture um, consisted of. Uh, I think it's only really at university that you find out whether it's it's right for you or not. And how was it for you leaving um, university and actually going into a practice? Did you find it quite a different change? And what was sort of like the jump between the two? I think there's always a culture shock, isn't there? When when you go from an academic um, environment into a, into a sort of a working um, office, and you know the way that students work, we we always used to um, get up at lunchtime and uh, and sort of work rather casually, and then most of the work was done in the middle of the night. Of course, you can't really do that in a professional environment. And I I worked in an office, a traditional architecture office, which in which everything was still done in a very old-fashioned way. All of the drawings were done by hand. Um, even letters were still typed on typewriters. There were no computers in the office at all. And this was in the mid-90s. So, you know, by then, um, computers had sort of taken over word processing largely. So it was very unusual to find such an, um, an old-fashioned office. So, yeah, it was definitely a culture shock. Um, and, uh, and I, but I think that that's the case for most people coming out of university into a job is, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a big adjustment to be done. So uh, going to university for seven years is obviously a lot of time um, to put into a, a subject. Um, and I think it's still the case now that it's seven years um, to become an architect. How how was that kind of broken down over the seven years um, on your course? You know, what, what kind of things were you learning about? So, yeah, seven years does sound like a long term. But in, in fact, it's, it's really three years um, to do the first degree. Then you go and work for an architect for a year. Then you come back to university and do a further two years of study, and that's the diploma. And then you go back to an architect's office and you do a further year. So, um, so it's really uh, five years in university, but split into two chunks and two years working for an architect. Um, so it doesn't feel too bad. Um, it's not seven years all, all um, as a student, really. And um, uh, and I actually studied in Edinburgh, so there's a slightly different system there, whereas ra- rather than doing um, a three-year degree and then a two-year diploma, we actually did a four-year degree, which was a master's degree, and then a one-year diploma. So... Um, so it's slightly different there, but um, uh, yeah, I I um, I loved being at university, but I also loved working in an office, and um, uh, and definitely once you've done your first year out working for an architect, when you come back to university, I think you treat the university experience very differently because by then you're semi-professional, and I think that you have a different approach to work. Um, as a postgraduate student than you do as an undergraduate. Slightly less partying, maybe? <laughs> well, I was lucky to, you know, in, in Edinburgh, we, um, uh, one of the great things about being a student in Edinburgh is the, the um, housing uh, available to students is so good. And if you can find a very nice flat um, and manage to stay there for um, a couple of years, then you can have a really nice life quite cheaply. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I was really lucky with the flats that I had. Um, yeah, it probably was more civilized than <laughs> than my undergraduate years. Yeah. You said in your uh, your first placement at the university that you were quite in a very old school traditional style office. Um, yeah. And over those years, architecture, design, and all that has moved on quite significantly. How have you sort of uh, seen the progress of um, design um, through mediums like CAD and that develop over, um, in your time as an architect? So um, when I first went to an office, as I say, everything was drawn by hand uh, on drawing boards and we stood up at, at uh, you know, big a naught sized drawing boards. And um, if we wanted drawings to be printed, then they were printed on a big, um, uh, what was it called, a die line machine. Um, in a print room downstairs, and then all of the prints were um, folded up by hand and put into envelopes and sent off to consultants and clients. So there was no email, there was no, um, uh, there was nothing digital in the office at all. So I would say that just um, when we set out to do a drawing, you would spend days on it, and you would try and get as much information onto that drawing as possible, because at the end of it, it was being... Um, printed off and sent out to lots of people. So, the you know, you really thought carefully about what you were doing. I would say that um, in contrast now, we're in, a, in a, such a different world. I mean, it's, a, you know, very difficult to compare it, the, the office environment now, with how it was 30 years ago. Um, and um, now, uh, every, you know, we sort of do so much you just do a quick sketch and then you send it out to people by email and then you get sort of feedback um, back from it. And uh, although all of the work that I do is drawn by hand still, all of the team that I work with in the office are, um, everything is CAD based. So it's, uh, other than me, there's hardly any hand drawing at all. Um, so yeah, it's it's totally different. Or just unrecognisable. Anybody in my office who went back and looked at the office that where I was when I first trained would just be astonished at, at how much has changed. Do you think the development of uh, sort of digital CAD and things like that has made some designers lazier? Um, I think that it's you know it's rather like in writing that if you if you sit down to write an essay now, it's so easy to just write something quite quickly and think I can easily edit it later. Um, Whereas in the days of typewriters, you really thought carefully about what you were writing because to change anything was just that much more laborious. Uh, So I think think there maybe is a bit of laziness um, and people's minds are not so focused on getting it right first time. But at the same time, you know, the technologies massively improved our ability to visualize things so uh, on a drawing board what you're doing always is drawing things in 2d and uh relying on your mind to um to translate that into three dimensions but um with cad now we draw everything in 3d so that we can look at everything to a very high level of resolution um even as a sketch that's quite interesting because I've, I've worked with quite a few architects um, with what I do. And yeah. I find they're actually quite against um, designing in 3D. And they actually quite like their traditional 
just drawing plan views, elevations, and sections. Um, and they actually don't want to do too many 3D models. Yes, I um, I must say that mainly I draw in plan section and elevation, and sometimes I will do a little perspective sketch of what something looks like. But I find it incredibly helpful um, to work with somebody in the office to, to do quick models. And actually, I think that architects have always built models and um, and the reliance on the drawing board is maybe more of a 20th century thing. But, uh, the, you know, architects always used to commission models, um, uh, you know, particularly for complex internal spaces. I think that it, it, nothing beats a model, really. So oh, absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I really think that, um, that, you know, our ability to to build simple digital models of things um, and to, uh, I suppose, really, for complex um, spatial modelling, it's really so much better than, um, than 2D hand drawings. I don't know if you uh, if you saw it, George, but there's a program recently on um, on BBC or on BBC Two, um, mm. where a couple of architects would go into a house and and design plans, and they'd use three um, D visualization um, to show the clients what they designed in their own yes. homes and be able to walk yes. around it. And yes. I thought that was amazing because surely that, as an architect, when you're coming up with these plans there's only so much you can show on a drawing whereas actually being able to take your clients and put them into these scenarios is must be incredibly helpful it is incredibly helpful and i um since you've asked me this i, I sort of slightly hesitate to say this because i don't want it to come out the wrong way but i think that um uh sometimes the best thing that clients can do is to trust their architect mm. and uh and you know being able to show them every last detail of what something is going to look like sounds like a good idea but um <laughs> but but actually it's not always a good idea because um i find that the best jobs come when a client says i'm not going to interfere with the process um they come and look at some other houses that i've designed and decide that uh they like them and then they put their trust in you. And I do think that one of the, the difficulties with technology is that everything has become so possible and so available. Mm. Everybody thinks they're an expert. And, <laughs> um, and I think that it is, it's very important that, that expertise is retained amongst people who have a deep knowledge of things and yeah. that, um, uh, that people learn to trust those experts. I, I really think it's important, and I hope that hasn't come across the right way because it, it's going to, you know, I, I wouldn't want in any way to um, to stop a client from seeing what they were getting. But if you put a headset on and imagine yourself walking through a digital model, it is mm. going to be nothing like being in a real building. Mm. I mean, honestly, nothing like because you um, the experience of being in a building is so complex and it's all of our senses you know it's sort of um we experience buildings uh based on um the quality of uh the um you know smells and touch and mm. temperature and um our mood and all sorts of things it's it's um it's so complicated 
it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really yeah. good point and i think actually in the show it sometimes shows the exact thing you're talking about because sometimes the clients would go oh, i don't really like that window there or oh i'd like to move that a bit and move this a bit and you can tell at the end that although they're saying oh yeah no it's great you can tell that they're thinking oh god i wish i'd put that window in and the architects sort of stand there going well i, I told you so <laughs> kind of thing yes yes um, exactly. exactly i think trust is is what um uh is, is what, what's sometimes missing from these things mm. and um uh sometimes better at it than others mm. yeah so your your style is obviously very classical and you, you said that your you know it comes from your grandfather and, and having mm. this sort of relationship with it but what was it about the classical style for you because i at the beginning i said you know modern architecture for me i think lazy is the wrong word but it's not as detailed. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but there's not as much, I feel like there's not much detail in the building. Sometimes they're quite brutal and quite sharp, whereas yeah. classical seems very ornate. And I just feel like that more goes into it, maybe. I could be completely wrong, but what was it for you that really sort of excites you about that type of architecture? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And um, I don't want to sort of sound too preachy about it because I, you know, I love classical buildings but i do um i i don't necessarily think that uh that all architects ought to do that you know it's not to the exclusion of everything else it's just what i'm interested in myself but i have to say i do find most modern architecture just quite bland and quite dull and um and that combined with a sort of uh almost religious fervor with it with which modernist architecture is taught i just always found a real turn off and um uh and i find um you know the sort of thrill of walking into a really great classical building i mean you think of um somewhere like st paul's or mm. um some of the great buildings in rome and there's and there's a sort of a kind of visceral excitement that comes over you that i've just never had with um with modern architecture and uh, so that's what I try to capture in new buildings is that um, the sort of uh, it's it's craftsmanship, but it's design and it's meaning as well. I mean, the great thing about classical architecture, because people have been doing it for so long, is that it's very rich in allegory and illusion and meaning and all of those things as well. So um, uh, I just I, I find it's a bit like a language that people have stopped using. And I look at it and think it's it's full of such richness. It's the pity that um, that it's been rejected by so many people. I always found architects to be, or construction to be like this this game of spinning plates where you've got all these plates going, and and the architect saw the person at the bottom bringing all those plates together and keeping them going. Yes. Um, you've got your, like, your MEP guys, your structural engineers, your, you know, um, site guys, a everyone sort of comes back to the architect and they sort of oversee it. How is it to be that sort of go-to person in, in that, in that project where you've got all these different plates, you've got to keep spinning and keep up there and appease them all. <laughs> yes. It's um, when I was first training, I remember um, my first boss described to me, um, that the, the architect's job is a bit like steering a ship through very choppy waters. And uh, everybody is trying to blow you off course. You know, you've got the 
the services consultant who wants to do one thing and then you've got the structural engineer who wants to do another and the client may be trying to pull the project in another direction and your job is to try and steer a, a sort of um, a straight course uh, while everybody is trying to um, move you in different directions. And I think that's a, it's a good way of thinking about it because um, you just need to keep a clear head. And, um, but all the time you have to be aware that, uh, that things can go wrong. So I, I find a lot of my job is, is just sort of um, is trying to spot problems before they occur and keep, keep a straight course. Um, so that sort of leads us nicely into what do you actually do every day? You know, you, you obviously meet with clients and design, but how does that work for you on a daily basis? Yeah, it is It is incredibly varied. I mean, just at the moment, because we're in lockdown, um, uh, I'm not travelling as much as I otherwise would. But I would say that, um, like everybody, every day there are lots of, phone calls and meetings and emails. So that's maybe not that interesting because everybody does that. Um, but uh, I also, you know, some days I'm going to see a new client and that will involve going to see a site and talking to them about what they want to do. And uh, and often that can be quite a wide ranging conversation to find out what they like, what kind of houses they've been brought up in, what kind of architecture they like, how they live. Um, and the great thing about designing houses for people is you have to really understand um, uh, what's in their minds and how they live from day to day. And um, and everybody thinks that they're a normal family, but everybody has a different version of normality. So, the, you know, there's no such thing as normal. Um, and so it's discovering what 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 each person's normality is. So that's really fascinating. And then um, often I'll be at building sites. So today I've been at a building site all day, um, just keeping track of progress of a um, construction project, which is going to be on site for the next couple of years. And um, so uh, it's going around inspecting all of the work and um, looking at new projects that are coming forward um, on that site. So that's really interesting. And then some days, I mean, tomorrow, I'm going to be at the drawing board all day, just doing drawings. Um, and uh, so um, the, the sort of the job that I thought I was going to be getting into when I was 18, when I first went to university, I still do that job. I just sit down with a big pad of paper and lots of pencils and um and i just draw and it's it's lovely to have those days mm. um so yeah it could be lots of different things on any given day you, you sort of um mentioned it slightly in in that answer as well how much of the design process for you when you go and meet clients is about how they actually live and and how they use the spaces um it is a lot about that uh but there are certain things that all projects have in common. I mean, the brief for most houses is quite similar. You know, everybody wants a certain number of bedrooms. Um, the downstairs, everybody wants living to be based around the kitchen. Um, and But then off the kitchen, you want areas where people can be uh, more quiet or more private. Um, and there are some parts of the house which are 
are sort of hard surfaces um, uh, for you know eating and cooking, and then there are softer parts of the house as well. Um, so, yeah, every project is different, but there are common strands that run between all of them. And so, when you sit down with a client, you, you are always thinking um, about their specific needs, but also about um, uh, sort of common threads with things that you've done before that would work well for them too. If that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what would be some personality traits that you see in yourself and some of the other architects around you that you think really help them thrive and make them successful? So, um, I mean, I the reason I became an architect really is that I am very interested in buildings and I love all the different parts of buildings. You know, the sort of um, I, I suppose that's a kind of engineering side of my uh of my head which is to do with how things are put together and um you know the kind of nuts and bolts but um increasingly i've realized that you've got to be interested in people as well you can't just be interested in in the kind of building fabric because um it's the it you know architecture is as much about people as it is about buildings um, so having a sort of empathy for people and taking an interest in in um, uh, their um, their lives and their how they're going to live is really important too. I think you've got to be quite diplomatic because you often find yourself, um, especially with private clients, uh, uh, sometimes trying to negotiate. Um, uh the the needs of different people you know typically a husband and wife might not always have exactly the same outlook on things and so uh you know trying to trying to kind of find a way through that um but um and then they may have friends or their children may have a view on things so yeah you've got to you've definitely got to be a natural diplomat um and i think you've got to also know when to be firm you can't be a complete pushover and uh, some of the things that we do in architecture, you know, I think particularly of the planning process, you've got to have a lot of conviction in what you're doing um, and sometimes have the, the ability to persuade people that you're doing the right thing. And what for you would be some of the biggest, maybe the two biggest positives of working within this field? Um, I mean, speaking for myself, I, I've, got in many ways the perfect job um it's so varied and when i talk to other people about what they do you know what what lawyers do or what accountants do or um uh what um people who run charities or um you, you know just any job you can think of i feel like at some point or other i'm i've got that hat on because uh, there are so many different aspects to to architectural work and um uh you know planning and contracts are highly legal so you really need to understand those um uh the construction process is you know it's like engineering and you have to understand how things put together but design is very artistic and so you know at times you feel like you're a fine artist um so there's there's a bit of lots of different things um, sometimes I feel like a psychologist, you know, sitting in client meetings trying to understand what uh, what people want. So, yeah, it's the 
I, I really think it's incredibly varied. And I enjoy all aspects of the job, not just the drawing part. Um, as you know, it's it's really the the huge variety that appeals most to me. Um, I think I think architects are actually really interesting, and you sort of made the point there that very rarely do you find someone with the ability to be very creative, but then obviously very granular in the detail and and knowing how to actually create the thing that that they're drawing. Yes, yeah. You've got to know an awful lot in order to do the job properly. And that's probably one thing that makes architecture slightly off-putting to people is that as you sort of, um, as you approach architecture, the the range of skills that you need to do it and the amount of knowledge to do it properly. You know, at at times I remember when I was first um, joining an office and looking at what people were doing, it just seemed overwhelming. Um, and uh, and I remember somebody saying to me that it, you can only be a good architect once you're middle-aged because um, there's just so much to learn. Uh, but um, but it's a very enjoyable process. And uh, what, on the flip side of all this, what would be some of the negatives that you find of this industry? Um, what are negatives? I mean, I feel I've been really lucky in in having amazing opportunities and working on nice projects. And at the moment, I've got lots of lovely things, um, you know, really, really interesting projects we're doing. Some of them are working on old buildings and some of them are building new ones. Um, You know, there are definite frustrations with the planning system. Uh, I I do think that when, um, of all of the things that we deal with, Planning is the most frustrating. It, it's um, it's a very cumbersome process, and um, somehow does does need to be reformed. I think. Uh, and, yeah, I certainly um, agree with that. I know I've worked on a couple of projects where there's like a, something that's said in the planning stage. You get right to the end, and you're like, "Yeah, what? Why did we say that in the uh, in the planning stage? It doesn't. It it just doesn't work now." Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, of course, I'm talking about the sort of statutory, um, like getting planning permissions for things, listed building consents, all of that, and that process, which is uh, heavily regulated, um, is is very unreliable, I would say. And you know, there, there are sort of defined timescales to make applications and get decisions, and they very, very rarely are met. So, um, yeah, I would say planning is a huge frustration. But obviously, it's necessary. Um, uh, is that a negative? I think it's just something that you live with. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, what else might be negative? Um, uh, I think that. Um, I mean, I, I used to think that at university that it was it was a pity that classical architecture or traditional architecture um, got such a hard time at universities. Uh, and I think that there's there's a huge amount of reform that needs to happen in the education system to um, to just be broad, more broad minded, because um, I feel that universities are still stuck in the 1970s in many ways, um, and uh, and they're they're only able to teach one thing, and they believe in the in the sort of moral purpose of that one thing, but actually we live in a much more a sort of pluralistic. Um, time now and I think that students have much more 
uh, knowledge and availability to information. And I think that, that universities haven't really caught up with that. So um, uh, I don't know if that's a negative, but yeah. um, it, it was definitely a frustration when I was a student. Mm. So we like to talk a little bit about what people can expect to, to earn from the industry. Yeah. Um, and we just go away and we, we look at some rough figures. Um, and apparently a newly qualified architect, tell us if you sort of agree with these figures roughly, um, could look at maybe a, a £30,000 starting salary. Um, someone with five years experience possibly earn up to 45000 maybe. And then after that, it's very much um, up to you if you become a director or you start your own practice. There's a lot of opportunity once you're in the industry. Yes. That sounds, uh, th- those figures sound about right to me. Um, I mean, it is what you make of it. Uh, uh, when I was training, people always used to say that architects weren't particularly well paid. Um, and I don't have much to compare it with because I've, you know, I've only ever been in in the architectural industry. But, um, uh, yeah, it's a very enjoyable job. I would say it's it's not as well paid as um as some jobs but then job satisfaction is is something that is um unmeasurable yeah unmeasurable that's a good word yeah yeah what would be um something that you come across every now and then maybe within this industry or your job that you just never expected whilst going into architecture um I don't think that I ever realised how varied the job would be. I thought that it would just be designing buildings. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the as I said, the more human side of it, I didn't really realise. And it's quite a difficult thing to train people to do, those sort of very human skills of just being able to explain things to people carefully um, in a in a gently persuasive way. Is a skill you've either got or you haven't. Uh, and it's particularly important when doing private work for, um, uh, you know, for houses, that sort of thing, because building up a good rapport with the client is very important. Um, and what else did I not know? I mean, I, I had no idea, of course, that, that uh, of the changes um, in technology. But I... I um, I don't. I don't. I mean, it is positive in some ways, but I think that we generate far too much disposable stuff now. Mm. I mean, most emails um, might as well never have been written. Yeah. And uh, and you know, we all spend our lives um, tied to to answering emails. Um, and uh, I, you know, just it's interesting. My grandfather did. Um, in the late 1960s, built a large new country house and um, a similar sort of project to the ones that I do now. Um, and uh, because I trained um, when I when I left uh, university, I trained in his office. So all of the paperwork from his um, from that project was still there, and the entire correspondence for that house. So all the client correspondence, all of the consultants, all of the planning, everything fitted into one A4 box file. <laughs> um, whereas now the amount of paperwork generated for one project, I mean, it would be several rooms mm. full of full of just pieces of paper with pointless emails printed on them. 
Um, and of course, we don't print out emails, but it, it's just, you know, the, the ability we now have to communicate is great, but sometimes there's over-communication, I would say. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. Um, so from your point of view, how does somebody begin to progress within the industry and build themselves a reputation? Um, I think that it all, all really, I suppose, comes down to finding the right office to join when, when, you, when the time comes. Um, and finding an office that is doing the kind of work that you're interested in, um, in which there are opportunities for for your career to grow. Uh, and um, it's one thing we're very conscious of in our office is, is to try and sort of keep talking to people about their career map and um, making sure that they are setting goals and, and we're helping them achieve those goals. Um, but, you know, some offices are better at that than others. Uh, but I think... Um, being in an office that's doing the kind of work that you're interested in, that, that's the key to it. Um, and, um, uh, and then just building as much experience as possible. I, I always found that, you know, sometimes the things you learn about are just having your ears and eyes open to what is happening in your peripheral vision. So it's not necessarily what's right in front of you. It's just keeping... Um, uh just listening out for what is going on around you and you learn so much that way and uh would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now yes i don't i can't think for a moment what else i would do (laughs) (laughs) um yes i love it and um yeah every every day i sort of um you know it never comes to Friday and I think oh thank goodness it's Friday and I've got the weekend it, it would never occur to me I'm I'm doing a job I love and I never ever take that for granted that's all you can ask for right yeah and I suppose just to finish you know quite a lot of what I do I would do even if somebody wasn't paying me to do it you know and that that is that's the sort of test really yeah is, are, are you doing the right job yeah yeah well, thank you so much for coming on, George. Um, I've, I've really, really enjoyed the chat. It's been really fascinating. Good. Oh, it's a pleasure. Very nice to, to hear you. And thank you for asking me to do this. And I, I hope it'll be of interest to, to other people. And uh, thank you so much, George. Uh, where can people find your Instagram and anything else about you? Oh, yes. So um, uh, I'm George Somers Smith. My surname is a bit, of a, a bit complicated, but um, if anybody... Uh, looks me up on Instagram. My surname is S-A-U-M-A-R-E-Z and then Smith. And um, I'm pretty easy to find on Instagram. I've got quite a few videos on YouTube of me doing uh, drawings of classical detail um, and speeded up drawings, uh, you know, drawings which have been done over the course of a day, but they're, they're speeded up so you can watch them in five minutes and um and various lectures i've given about classical architecture if anybody is interested in that so um uh but instagram i find is a great way of connecting with people because i use it as a kind of visual diary Mm. and um uh and you can be very personal with instagram and connect with a wide audience which uh yeah i think an amazing thing about it is so different from 
corporate mm. um, uh, connections. It's it's very you know feels much more one to one. We will make sure to uh, to link you on our our social media when it comes out as well. Great, thank you. Brilliant. Well, thanks for that, George. Pleasure.